From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is, wait, wait, don't tell me, the NPR News Quiz. Get over here and shave me. I'm your stubbill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. We have a great show for you today. We're very excited about it. Later on, we're going to be talking to Olympic champion gymnast Allie Raceman. In her new book, she says she started training seriously as a gymnast at the age of five. That's how much she prepares. So we assume that right now she's in a gym somewhere getting ready for our show, doing pull-ups while someone peppers her with pointless questions. (laughs) We know you've been training hard, so put some chalk on your fingers and uh, dial us up. The number (laughs) is one triple eight. wait wait That's 1-888-924-8924. Now let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hey there, this is Ethan Budiansky from Washington, D.C., but formerly from Acton, Massachusetts, really close to where Ali Reisman is from. Now, did you say Ethan Budinsky? Budiansky, yep, that's it. Okay. And, <laughs> and when you interrupted somebody when they were talking <laughs> as a child, what did people call you? Ethan. Yeah. <laughs> Well played, Ethan. (laughs) Well played indeed. Let me welcome you to our show, Ethan. First up, say hello to an author and performer hosting the Moth Main Stage Show in Washington, D.C., right near you on October 18th. It's Tara Clancy. Hey, Ethan, how are you? Hey, Tara, how are you doing? Pretty good. Next, a writer for WGN's Man of the People who will be appearing at the Sportsman's Club in Chicago September 27th and at the Six in Calabasas, California on October 18th. It's Adam Burke. Hello. Hi. Hey, Adam. And finally, a contributor to CBS Sunday Morning and host of Science Goes to the Movies on PBS, which now has its own YouTube channel. It's Faith Saley. Hello, Ethan. Faith, how are you doing? So, Ethan, welcome to our show. You're going to start us off with who's Bill this time. Bill Curtis, right here in all his glory, is going to read you three quotations from the week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you'll win our prize. Any voice from our show that you may choose on your voicemail. Are you ready to go? I certainly am. Here's your first quote. It's someone giving an expert meteorological opinion on Hurricane Florence. <laughs> it's the wettest we've seen. <laughs> from the standpoint of water. <laughs> who offered that important <laughs> climatological insight to the people of beleaguered North Carolina. Um, that would be meteorologist slash president of the United States, <laughs> Donald Trump. Yes, Donald Trump, that's who it was. President Donald Trump went to visit uh, the victims of Hurricane Florence in North Carolina this week, and he really seemed to enjoy it. The good news is the local stations put up one of those maps showing the predicted path of Trump's visit so people could evacuate. (laughs) We have to give President Trump credit here. He can be an optimist, a hotel suite half full with prostitutes kind of guy. (laughs) He went to visit victims of Hurricane Florence in North Carolina, and he had told the assembled masses to, quote, have a good time. (laughs) He talked, this is all true, he talked to one guy who, ha- who had an unmoored yacht wash up into his yard, and he said, quote, hey, at least you got a nice boat out of the deal. 
He said, at least you got a boat out of the deal. Out of he the deal. He called hurricane a deal. Yeah, got a boat out of the deal. <laughs> so Trump. He seemed to genuinely think that he, the homeowner who ended up with this boat in his yard will get to keep the boat. Yeah, that was the part <laughs> I'm he thinking said, about. The yeah. Law? Hey, yeah. yeah, it's a finder's keeper. It's hurricane rules, baby. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Anything goes. I know. I mean, How do you it, think I got Melania? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what's weird about the president is how strangely restrained he was. He did not throw paper towels at anybody, and he didn't say anything offensive about the people of the hurricane. <laughs> but he also famously... A, pl a plus. A plus, yes. He did not insult the victims. Good for you. But he also didn't comment about the revelations from Stormy Daniels' book. <laughs> somebody got to look at. And in the book, Ms. Daniels compares the president's staff of chief... <laughs> <laughs> visually to the Mario Kart video game character Toad. For those of you who don't know what Toad looks like, do not find out. <laughs> it's, it's, in a, it's a joyful little stubby mushroom. He was. Have you ever played the video game? All many times. Yeah, that character always finishes first, like really quickly. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then the rest of the characters don't get to finish at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Your next quote is from someone's high school yearbook. Keg City Club Treasurer, 100 kegs or bust. That was one of the many titles of a man who said he doesn't remember attending any alcohol-fueled high school parties. Who is it? Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, it was Brett Kavanaugh. You're right. After it seemed like a pretty much done deal, Trump's nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court is now up in the air after allegations of sexual impropriety, let's say. People keep saying this wouldn't keep happening if he would just nominate women to these positions. All right? But you gotta have some sympathy here. The president tried, but he couldn't find a woman who had sexually assaulted someone. <laughs> oh no, this is funny. Trust me. <laughs> Now, one piece of evidence came from this friend of Kavanaugh's, Mark Judge is his name, who was allegedly an accomplice in the assault. Judge wrote a memoir about his years in high school with lots about how he and his friends used to get really, really drunk. And he used pseudonyms, so we don't know which character his friend Brett Kavanaugh is. But maybe, just maybe, and this is totally true, it could be the person he calls Bart O'Kavanaugh. <laughs> His memoir, is called, isn't it called like Wasted Tales, yeah. Tales of a Gen X Drunk? Yeah. Yeah, this whole thing is like a Brett Easton Ellis novel. Oh, don't you mean Bar Easton Ellis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ellis. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of believe that the 100 kegs or bust crew don't remember anything. It's <laughs> strange. Yeah, that part is kind of credible. All right, here is your last quote. When I was writing them, they were gay. That was a writer named Mark Saltzman confessing that, yes, the rumors were true as far as he was concerned. What beloved children's characters were gay the whole time? That would be Bert and Ernie. That's right. There have been rumors about these two Muppets from Sesame Street. They're roommates. Uh, they live together. They don't have girlfriends. They spend a lot of time around baths. But this week... A writer named Mark Saltzman, who wrote for Sesame Street for 15 years, said yes, to him they were always gay, and people went crazy. How nosy are we that we need to know who our puppets are sleeping with? <laughs> oh, my sock with two buttons sewn onto it? I'm pretty sure it's polyamorous. 
No, people went crazy happy, and then Sesame Street Workshop delivers this crushing blow of, oh, these are just puppets. They don't have a sexual orientation. Yeah. I'm like, and then right, and then everyone was like, what about what uh, about Kermit love is love, man? And this, you know, these guys grew up on the street. Yeah. You know? yeah. I also don't like. I also don't like. That they were like, you know, they're puppets, so they don't have sexual orientation. Yeah, but they've got apartments and jobs and a sponsorship <laughs> deal with the alphabet. <laughs> Right, that we, we have Kermit and we have Miss Piggy, and they have a sexual orientation. Very hetero, right? They have yeah. very hetero. You know, all of that. Almost too hetero. It goes over species. I yeah, I know. Anything <laughs> is too hetero for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's clear that they're gay, but I don't think they're in a sexual relationship with each other. And the reason you know is because. Ernie would have totally helped Bert out with his eyebrows if, <laughs> if, they, were, yeah. if they were a couple. Right. Because you can, I mean, look at the way Ernie's beefy. Like, he's a gym rat. You know what I mean? Yeah. We well, he cares about that boy. stuff. Yeah. Ch- okay. Yeah. You yeah. know who is, though, probably? Those, those honky guys. They're always honking each other off all the time. You know the guys who are like, <laughs> it's just... So, Bill, how did Ethan do on our quiz? <laughs> Ethan, you were perfect. He got them all right. Congratulations, Ethan. Thank you so much for playing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right now, panel, it is time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Faith, a study from researchers at Michigan State is making a lot of headlines this week. It finds out that what can help cure people with kidney stones? Oh, man. I wish I knew this last year when my husband had one. Well, you should have taken him to Cedar Point. Is because it, is it a swift he kick kept in the saying, nuts? you have no idea how painful this is. And I kept wanting to hold up our youngest child and say, <laughs> no, you have no idea how painful that is. Um, I need a hint. Even it's more it's like I... it's one more reason not to stand under the Hulk ride at Universal Studios. Oh, roller coasters. Yes, going on roller coasters can break up your kidney stones. Oh, my goodness. It's absolutely true. The Do stu- they come out when you vomit? Wait. Are you sa- does, that, does that mean that, like, Six Flags will be covered by my copay? Exactly. <laughs> So some doctors heard this story anecdotally. The people went on roller coasters and after a couple of rides, whoa, what do you know? Their kidney stones were no longer a problem. So they built a 3D model of a kidney and they sent it, this kidney, (laughs) on 40 consecutive rides on Disney's Big Thunder Mountain coaster. And they proved it that roller coasters can jostle kidney stones loose. How weird is that photo you get at the end? (laughs) And you're like, what the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, how was, how was the Joker ride? That was pretty good. It wasn't lose a kidney stone good. <laughs> <laughs> That's like in, when you go to the parks and you and you put in that coin and roll, you know, get a souvenir. Yeah. Like that's your souvenir, Yeah, man. it really is, yeah. I mean, it's a shame when you're like waiting in line and the guy in front of you is a 3D printed kidney who's like on its 10th ride of the day. And you're like, dude. <laughs> He's got the fast pass. <laughs> 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 <No. laughs> Coming up, it's raining, it's pouring, it's our bluff, the listener game. Call one wait wait to play on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR.
Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Universal Pictures' new movie, First Man, from Academy Award-winning director Damien Chazelle and starring Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy. It tells the untold story of everything it took to make the impossible journey to the moon. Entertainment Weekly said it is a remarkable cinematic achievement and a stirring reminder of an era in our nation's history when we led the world by the boldness of our ambition. First Man is in theaters and IMAX everywhere on October 12th. Tickets at firstman.com. Hi, I'm Daniel Alarcón, host of NPR's Spanish-language podcast, Radio Ambulante. This week, a year after the earthquakes that devastated the country, Mexico is still dealing with the aftermath. Schools were especially damaged, and the government promised to rebuild them fast. But two journalists discovered that the truth about that reconstruction is much more complicated. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Faith Saley, Tara Clancy, and Adam Burke. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Right now, it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game. Call one wait wait to play our game in the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Who's this? Uh, my name is Amber Maker. I'm calling from Tucson. <laughs> you seem to be calling in front of a amusement park carousel. <laughs> in the background. Is it a little better now? Fine. All right. I I am told that we can proceed with this charming (laughs) underscoring. Well, Amber, it is very nice to have you with us. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Amber's topic? The mystery of Ipswich. This week, we read a real-life mystery, and it began like this. Okay. Each night, a woman in Ipswich Heard the sound of the nursery rhyme, it's raining, it's pouring. But she had no idea where it was coming from. So, our panelists are each going to tell you the rest of the story. But only one of them is telling you the real solution to this mystery. Pick that, you'll win our prize, the voice of the wait waiter of your choice on your voicemail. You ready to play? I am so ready, I hope. Okay, let's hear first from Faith Saley. Each night, a woman in Ipswich heard the sound of the nursery rhyme, it's raining, it's pouring, but she had no idea where it was coming from. Bunny Glass says she rented her cottage in the ancient town because she wanted a respite from the hubbub of London. She expected peace and quiet and not the creepy sounds of children singing about an old man's concussion at 1 a.m. every night for a week. (laughs) What Barbara didn't know was that she'd chosen a cottage just down the lane from the Suffolk Center for Atmosphere and Meteorology, also known by its acronym, SCAM, (laughs) and that her holiday coincided with SCAM's annual hazing week for budding meteorologists. Upperclassmen begin what they call climate change week by bursting into freshman dorms, thrusting the dolls that sing, it's raining, it's pouring. Then they pelt the dolls at the sleepy yet terrified freshmen in a ritual they call El Nino. (laughs) At the end of climate change week, the scam marching band plays It's Raining Men for five hours straight. (laughs) And all the graduating male meteorologists dress themselves in speedos and galoshes and tackle the freshmen. Once the Ipswich Borough Council explained the situation to Ms. Glass, she was able to enjoy her stay, admitting, even though they're very pale, the sight of young men in speedos and wellies makes for a memorable holiday. 
So it turns out it was all part of a hazing ritual at a nearby school for meteorologists. Your next story of just what was making it rain and making it pour comes from Adam Burke. Each night, a woman in Ipswich heard the sound of the nursery rhyme, it's raining, it's pouring, but she had no idea where it was coming from. Having recently moved into a new flat in town, Marjorie Phelps spent days searching in vain for the source of the melody. Finally, a trip to the local pub yielded some answers. That would be Casper Atkins, replied the landlord. He rents a little cottage across from you and is probably rehearsing for a tour. Atkins, it turns out, was the front man for The Snuggle Tones, a popular musical group for children. Think the Wiggles, but without the sex appeal, explained Phelps. <laughs> Unfortunately for her, it seems the success of The Snuggle Tones was due to Atkins' penchant for perfection. He's an absolute obsessive about nursery rhymes, explained former bandmate Wesley Bluth. He's like Phil Spector, but for I'm a Little Teapot. <laughs> After several weeks of oral torment, Phelps finally got Atkins to answer the door. He yelled something about it being an allegory for climate change and slammed the door in my face, she said. Phelps has since filed a noise complaint with the local council, but on the upside, reports at least he's moved on to the Muffin Man. <laughs> it was actually Casper Atkins, lead singer of the Snuggle Tones. who was singing that song over and over. Your last story of why the old man was snoring comes from Tara Clancy. Each night, a woman in Ipswich heard the sound of the nursery rhyme, it's raining, it's pouring, but she had no idea where it was coming from. All she knew was that it wasn't coming from inside her house, so naturally she assumed someone was trying to kill her. <laughs> it occurred at random times of night, sometimes just once, and in other instances, several times in a row. And though she briefly considered that the source could be a mother singing to a sleepless infant, she knew it was far more likely to be Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Baffled local authorities followed the sound of the classic children's ditty to a nearby warehouse that was using it as a burglar alarm. When asked why they chose the nursery rhyme to ward off would-be robbers, management responded that it was, quote, more effective. <laughs> Of course, that didn't answer the question of how the system was being set off, but review of the CCTV footage soon revealed that it was, in fact, an itsy-bitsy spider. <laughs> Though authorities couldn't confirm whether this was before or after it went up the water spout. <laughs> Either way, every time the eight-legged rogue crawled across the camera lens, its motion would trigger the tune, which was loud enough to be heard throughout the surrounding residential area. In an ingenious stroke of creative problem solving, management addressed this problem by lowering the alarm volume. <laughs> The woman said that on Tuesday she stood by her window as they tested the system at a new lower volume and she was pleased to confirm that at long last she, quote, couldn't hear it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, this much is true. A woman in Ipswich, England was hearing this song. It's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. <laughs> but the explanation is either from Faith Saley, it was a hazing ritual at a school for climatologists nearby. From Adam Burke, it was just the rehearsals of a popular children's performer. Or from Tara Clancy, it was spiders setting off the world's most creepy alarm system. Which of these was the real solution to this oh, strange God. mystery? I can 
like the first one. I I don't know. It sounds crazy, but I'm gonna go with number one. So you're gonna go then with. Okay, you're going to choose Faith's story, which was that it was all happening at the meteorological school up the street. Well, this is the thing. We managed to reach this woman and asked her what the cause of her trouble was. They saw that there were spiders all over the centers, and that was what was making the nursery rhymes play so often throughout the night. That was Alice Randall. She was the woman who complained to the Ipswich Borough Council in England about the nursery rhymes, telling us that, in fact, in the end, the spiders did it. (laughs) Well, I'm afraid you were fooled by Faith's story, earning her a point. So thank you so much for playing. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Amber. Thank you. Bye-bye. And now the game where true competitors learn what it's like simply not to care about winning because in this case, it just doesn't matter. When Allie Raceman was a young girl, she used to watch and rewatch the 1996 Women's American Olympic Gymnastic Team win the gold. And she said to herself, that's going to be me one day. Well, she was wrong. That was her two days because she won team gold at both the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. We assume she's been dreaming of this day for just as long. <laughs> Allie Raisman, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> so, I mean, you begin your new book with that story that you came across a VHS, like an old VHS tape of the 1996 uh, competition and you used to watch that constantly? Yes, I was absolutely obsessed with it. My grandfather had taped it for my mom, and then my mom had just forgot about it. And one day she was just, I think she was just going through boxes, and she found it, and she put it in on the TV. And little did she know that tape would completely change my life. I would watch it every single day, had every single score memorized. I wanted to be just like those girls. And and if people don't remember, this is one of the most famous moments in Olympic history, where Carrie Strug of the U.S. team had to make a vault in order to win team gold. She hurt herself on the first one and she had to make a vault with like a sprained ankle and she landed in pain and was hopping. And you were like, I want to be that woman in agony. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when I was eight years old watching it, it doesn't occur to you how hard it it is actually going to be to get to the Olympic Games, but I don't know. It was something in me. I just wanted to be there so bad. Now, what is amazing to me, looking reading your book, is by the time you watched that at age eight, you were already a competitive gymnast, right? One of the most amazing things to me is the first time you tried out for a a, a gym team was you were five, right? Yes, I was, and I actually didn't make it to the next level. I was the only one in my pre-team group that got held back, um, and I had no idea. Thankfully, my parents are very supportive, and they just told me I was lucky that I got to repeat the level again. I had no idea it was because I was the worst in the class. Sure, and so you you worked extraordinarily hard. You had to miss a couple things that are sort of more normal for... I guess non-gymnasts like yourself, like, uh, were you able to attend your high school graduation? I was not able to. I actually, uh, we had like a, a day before the graduation where they gave out awards to the students, 
and um, they let me graduate a day early, but it was a few months before the Olympics, and so it was either nationals or Olympic trials. I forget which one it was. So it was a very important competition, so it was almost like at that point, it didn't really hit me that I was missing graduation. I was just so focused on the Olympics that it, you know, and I, I went to my prom, so I'm very grateful I was able to do that, and I left at like 10 o'clock and, and to make sure that I was ready for the next day's practice. Hey, Allie, when you, when you went to prom, were you just like, y'all, just clear the floor and he was like you know what actually no because I was a little bit more I was so focused I think I was a little bit more shy in high school too I wasn't that comfortable I was so furious at that time but if I went I went to a wedding a few weeks ago and I was definitely like everyone clear the floor and I had a really good time we're not thinking of you dancing at these events. No, We're no, thinking of you like doing yeah. like floor routines. Yes. People ask me to do stuff in heels, and I'm like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> you're the, you're the second most decorated uh, gymnast in American history. You've won two team gold medals and individual medals at two Olympics, which is amazing. Have you considered? I mean, you have such extraordinary skills and training. Have you considered using them to, for example, fight crime? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> hey, Allie. Um, you are you are so focused and driven and are such a, like a, a self-aware and responsible person. So I really want to know what's what's the most rebellious thing you've ever done. Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, something. I mean, I feel like people might know this about me, but I'm incredibly messy. I know that's not really rebellious, but like I'm very, very messy. Like, I'm all right, very, wait a minute. So, so if you're calling us from your home, describe the room you're in. Then. Are there leg warmers oh. all over the, the place? No, no, no. Just, the room that I'm in is very clean, everywhere. actually. I've been traveling a lot, so I've been keeping it pretty clean. Oh. I'm really trying hard to be neat, but it's very hard for me. I'm like trying to trick myself into thinking that cleaning is therapeutic so that I can be cleaner. Um, I was just picturing like, I was picturing having like a pommel horse in her apartment just with jackets all over it. <laughs> well, okay, I, if, if you came into my house, it is very clean, but I mean, there are times where sometimes my room does get messy, but I'm working on it. I'm working on so it. So it's not messy now, but it's potentially, possibly messy if you yes. let your guard down for an instant. Yes. The Russian judge has just deducted points. For I know. Yes. One last question. I've always wondered about this. Uh, do you, the gymnasts, ever get jealous of the figure skaters because the figure skaters get all those free stuffed animals? I think that's really cool to get all the stuffed animals. Um, I've never thought about that before, but... Welcome to no, NPR. But, yeah. <laughs> well, Allie Raisman, it is a pleasure to talk to you after watching you for so long, but we have asked you here to play a game we're calling... Oi, a vault! <laughs> <laughs> so you are an expert, of course, at the vault, among other skills. But what do you know about the other kind of vaults, the kind you store stuff in? Oh, gosh. Okay. It, that is the right attitude. Answer two out of three questions about vaults of various kinds correctly. If you do that, you want a prize for one of our listeners, the voice of anyone they may choose on their voicemail. Bill, who is champion gymnast Allie Raceman playing for? Sandy Krieger of Dexter, Michigan. All right. You ready right, to do this? On. Okay. Here is your first question. Not all vaults hold money or jewels. There is a vault below the earth in the Danish town of Billund where if you were to break in, you would find what? A, 4,000 kilograms of dryer lint. <laughs> B, one copy of every Lego set ever made. 
or see a single copy of a particular Wu-Tang Clan record? <laughs> Ooh, I have no idea. I'm going to go with some help from the audience. Well, I have I, no idea. <laughs> well, I, I, I will tell you and I'll tell the audience as well that there's a hint in that it's a town in Denmark. Mm -hmm. B. <laughs> B, yes, it is. the audience is right, and you are too. It's one copy of every Lego set, because that, of course, is where Lego is made, and that is the company's sort of vault of every set they've ever made. Wow. The only vault. problem is the very vault is also made out of Lego. Yes, so. very easy to break into. <laughs> Most vaults are found in banks, of course, including the Credem Bank of Italy. But that bank's vault is unusual because in addition to money, it contains what? A, 430,000 wheels of Parmesan cheese, <laughs> B, the bank owner's favorite teddy bear, or C, a man named Giuseppe who pays the bank a thousand euros a month to live there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go with A. You're gonna go with A, the Parmesan cheese. You're right. I like that. <laughs> This particular bank is in the center of the cheese-making district, and they accept wheels of Parmesan cheese as collateral <laughs> for loans. So there you go. All right, this is very good. You're, you look like you're about to meddle. Um, <laughs> last question. Many people use vaults to store memories. There is one vault inside a mountain north of New York in particular that contains what? A, a small sample of everything billionaire Peter Thiel has ever eaten. B, video of every professional wrestling match ever staged, or C, every ounce of sweat toweled off Michael Jackson after the year 1977. <laughs> I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B, video of every professional wrestling match. You're right again. You stuck the landing. The vault, of course, belongs to World Wrestling Entertainment, and they've got it all there in case they can do something with it. Bill, how did Ali Raceman do? She is stuck on gold. It's amazing. Wow, all three. Compared to, like, the Olympic gold medals, how does this feel? Better. There you go. You are a nice person. Ali Raceman is an Olympic gold medalist and was captain of the U.S. gymnastics team. Her memoir, Fierce is available now. Ali Raceman, thank you so much for joining us thank on Wait, you. Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you. Bye-bye now. In just a minute, we're having the lobster in our listener limerick challenge. Call one wait wait to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. This week on Ask Me Another, we're coming to you live from the Pageant Theater in St. Louis. Indie duo Matt and Kim tell us about their run-in with a tornado in a game called Go Outside and Don't Die. So join me for NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is... Wait, wait, don't tell me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Adam Burke, Faith Saley, and Tara Clancy. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. 
In just a minute, Bill reads from his favorite Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel, Love in the Rhyme of Cholera. <laughs> <laughs> it's our listener limerick challenge game. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one triple eight. Wait, wait, that's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Faith, this week we learned about a brand new font that's quite popular out there. It's called Times Newer Roman. And it was, that's what it's called, Times Newer Roman. And it was designed specifically to help students do what? Uh, to fill up more space on their paper. Yes, right? it helps them cheat. Uh, the font looks like Times New Roman, uh, but it takes up more space in the page so you can get away with writing less. Instead of writing, say, three whole pages in the Roman Empire, you type R-O-M and boom, out of space, here you go. <laughs> when you are using 12-point times newer Roman to write a 15-page paper, you are able to type 850 words less than if you used regular times new Roman. <laughs> I know this will shock you, Peter, but, yes. but not writing enough was never my problem. I am so stunned. <laughs> I can just imagine your class. Everybody has to hand in at least five pages. Faith, no more than ten. <laughs> but they're not even—they're not even trying to hide it. Like they should have given it the font a new name. Just they're just like this, they should have called it Times Cheater Roman. Like this is so clear. Times uh, Roman Catholic. <laughs> oh, sorry. They're incredibly they're, the Roman Catholic Church is known for being incredibly honest all the time. Exactly. I take it back. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, when I was a boy, we just made the margins four inches from the sides <laughs> of the paper. What's wrong with kids these days? Some of my papers were just a single vertical row of letters. <laughs> Tara, a new study out this week says that despite everything you have heard, there are really only four types of what? Everything, there are only four types of what? Oh, well, we've got five of them here, so at least we have one duplicate. Why is this going right There are five what on this stage? I don't know, people? <laughs> people, yes. It turns out that despite what you've heard, there are only four types of people. You probably thought there were a lot more kinds of people. There are happy people, depressed people, theater people, obnoxious people, people who need people who are also therefore the luckiest people, and on and on and on. Nope. According to a new study of 1.5 million responses to personality tests, everybody is either self-centered a role model, reserved, or average. <laughs> that's it. Self-centered, role model, reserved, or average, that's all the people, you're one of those, and if you're wondering which one you are, you're self-centered. <laughs> it sounds like this study needs a little more work. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that when they wrote this study up, it was in Times Newer Roman, because there's yeah. no way. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's like, actually, ah, let's call it four. <laughs> well, the way it worked, basically, was they had all these personality tests that asked people all kinds of different questions and rated them on all these different scores. And what they found out is everybody fell into one of these four groups. Self-centered, role model, reserved, or average. But what does average mean in, in a lineup average like means that? It you're means you're not, you're not anything. Right. It means you're not self-centered, role model, or reserved. And are most no, people no, average? No, that's not what that means. That's, that's not what the word average means. It means you're a mixture of those other three. Right, but you don't necessarily stand out, don't you say? Well, I, that I understand. <laughs> yeah. So so if you were average, you would be... I'm, this isn't funny anymore. This is just important. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're Here's the thing. Ladies and gentlemen, what's happening is faith sailing. Your friend and mine is now in front of you struggling with the existential crisis that there is a chance she is average. <laughs>
It cannot be! Which really makes me so upset. Coming up, it's Lightning Fell in the Blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one wait wait That's one 888 Or click the Contact Us link on our website, waitwait.npr.org. There you can find out about attending our weekly live shows right here at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago. Our upcoming 20th anniversary show at the Chicago Theater on October 25th. Our show in Orlando on November 15th. And our show this Thursday in Los Angeles at the Greek Theater with special guest John Hamm. You can't see his perfect face through the radio, so get a ticket. <laughs> Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is uh, Matt from Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, what do you do there in Springfield? I am a uh, professor of industrial engineering at uh, Western New England University. Oh, that's very cool. So industrial engineering, is that, that's different from like product design. You're making like machines that build things and stuff. Yeah, the, uh, the way I explain it to people is that mechanical engineers design the mechanical parts and electrical engineers design the electrical parts. An industrial engineer figures out how to build a million of them a year and get them to the customers on time and handle all the supply chain and all that stuff. So you are clearly the most important. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, welcome to the show. You are going to play our listener limerick challenge, Matt, and that means that Bill Curtis right here is going to read for you three limericks with the last word missing from each. Your job is complete that last limerick and tell us about the news story that it's about. Are you ready to play? Absolutely. All sure. right. Here's your first news-related limerick. Our lobster feasts slightly postponed because I'm worried that some of them groaned. With weed, they'll be foiled, first baked and then boiled. I feel fine when the lobsters are... Stoned. Stoned, yes! yes. <laughs> Going out for lobster is a great time for everyone except the lobster, which gets, as you said, boiled alive. One restaurant in Maine is trying to make it better for the lobster by getting them high before boiling them. They do this by filling the lobster tank with pot smoke, or if the lobster isn't cool with smoking, they just give them some edibles. <laughs> the woman leading the experiment says it's much more humane than other preparation methods as it mellows them out and gives them a chance to explore life's big questions, <laughs> such as, am I a fish or a giant bug? <laughs> so they cover them in pot, is it sort of like a cheech marinade? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a much better joke than you give it. No, so they, they sort of hotbox it. They sort of suffuse the mm. tank with smoke and cover it up. And, and it's the motivation is on the part of the person who's doing it is that it seems more humane? Yeah, I mean, the lobsters are stoned. They don't care. You yeah. know, except for that one lobster is like, oh, no, I'm, I, I got to work on my graduate school application. <laughs> you know. are the, are the, are the faith sailing of yeah. lobsters yeah. is what I'm saying. <laughs> are, are the lobsters there going, man, I'm hungry. I could go for some lobster right there. <laughs> <laughs> could also make you paranoid if it goes wrong. Well, that's true. Like, guys, yeah. guys, I don't trust this. <laughs> is it just me or is this water getting hot? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's your next limerick. Okay. If eight-legged beasts you revile, art therapy might be your style. Your fears are replaced by a warm, grinning face. Draw a spider, but with a big... Smile. Yes, yeah. a big smile. A clinical hypnotherapist says he has come up with a fun new way to help people get over their fear of spiders, to have them draw pictures of them with smiley, friendly faces. The theory being that by humanizing the spider, it goes from a creepy, poisonous killer to a friendly, poisonous killer. 
The only problem is when the spider inevitably bites you, you'll feel the painful bite of both a spider and betrayal. <laughs> I don't know about this. If you apply the same logic, you know, with the, uh, with the Mario Kart toad thing, I feel like <laughs> there's no lesbians that are now like, well, sounds good. <laughs> Meanwhile, Matt, <laughs> and here is your last limerick. This soda might make foodies blanch. It's a white goopy dill avalanche. Hidden valleys a blessing. It's more than just dressing, because everything's better with... Ranch. Yes, that one, you knew it right <laughs> yes, off. Indeed. People say... The U.S. lacks its own native culinary tradition, but those people have never spent time in the beautiful Hidden Valley region <laughs> where you can drink ranch dressing straight from its natural springs. <laughs> the New York Times this week named ranch dressing as the quintessential American food. Oh. <laughs> that is so sad. Yeah. It really is. Creamy, salty, fatty, oniony, garlicky. We put it on everything, including in toothpaste. And if it makes you thirsty, you can guzzle down a bottle of ranch-flavored soda. Yeah. Is that true? It is true. I mean, you're asking, wait a minute, you can't carbonate mayonnaise. Yes, you can. This is America, where just because it sounds terrible doesn't mean we won't do it. <laughs> Bill, how did Matt do in our quiz? Perfect. Congratulations, Matt. Well done. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for playing, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Bye bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, developing solutions to support strong families and communities to help ensure a brighter future for America's children. More information is available at aecf.org. Now on to our final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Each correct answer is worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? Tara and Faith each have three. Adam has two. Okay, Adam, you're in third place. You're up first. Fill-in-the-blank. On Monday, China announced $60 billion of new blank on U.S. goods. Tariffs. Yes. ABC News reported that Trump's former lawyer Michael Cohen has spent hours talking with Blank's team over the past month. Robert Mueller. Right. Residents in Massachusetts filed suit against gas company Nysource after a string of blanks destroyed several houses last week. Um, uh, spills? Oil spills? No, gas explosions. Oh. According to a nationwide Harris poll, Blank is the best Mexican restaurant in the country. <laughs> is it like Taco Bell? It is. <laughs> On Tuesday, the CEO of Chinese retail giant Blank backed out of his pledge to create a million new jobs in America. Pass. Uh, Alibaba is the name of the company. On Sunday, Kenyan runner Eliud Kipchoge set a new world record after completing the Berlin Blank in just over two hours. Marathon. Right. Police in Washington state had to arrest a woman after she refused to pull over and told officers Blank. <laughs> um, she was a cop. No, and they she was a criminal. She said, I drive a Prius. I'm not pulling over. <laughs> when the officer tried to pull her over, she just kept going and told him, I drive a Prius. I'm not pulling over. <laughs> The officer then told her she was under arrest for refusing to follow orders, to which she responded, I will own your bank account. I will own your home. Troopers then informed her she didn't need to go all this extra trouble to be obnoxious. She was already driving a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, how did Adam do? Well, he got four right, eight more points, total of ten, and he's in the lead. All right. 
We have flipped a coin and Tara has elected to go next. So please fill in the blank. On Wednesday, the Senate approved a new spending bill successfully avoiding blank. I don't know. A government shutdown. On Monday, President Trump ordered that some documents related to the blank investigation be declassified. Russia. Right. This week, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that the denuclearization talks with blank were back on. Uh, North Korea. Right. On Wednesday, Blank announced they were planning to open 3,000 more cashier-less convenience stores by 2021. Target. Amazon. A man at Yellowstone Park was criticized by fellow visitors after he was spotted blanking. Peeing. Into Old Faithful. Yes, this week, <laughs> the Japanese government's attempt to overturn a decades-old global ban on commercial blanking failed by a wide margin. No idea. Whaling, a report released this week, found that Blank conspired with scalpers to artificially inflate ticket prices. Ticketmaster. Yes, this week the town of Uranus, Missouri, celebrated the launch of a new local paper called The Blank. Uranus. Too easy, it was called The Uranus Examiner. <laughs> the new weekly paper covers stories throughout Pulaski County. It was not supported by everybody in the town, but the mayor saying that the Uranus Examiner, quote, puts the city up for public ridicule. This is somewhat ironic, considering that the town's own tourism page boasts, and this is completely true, that there's plenty to do in and around Uranus. <laughs> Bill, how did Tara do on our quiz? Four right, eight more points, a total of 11, one ahead of Adam, and she's in the lead. All right, so then how many does Faith need to win and be, once again, above average? <laughs> Only five is Only needed. five. Here we go, Faith. This is for the game. Fill in the blank. On Tuesday, President Trump once again criticized blank, saying, I don't have an attorney general. Oh, Jeff Sessions. Yes. Sessions. On Wednesday, President Trump was praised as a strong leader who respects the rule of law by blank. Uh, the Polish president. By Jeff Sessions. This oh. week, <laughs> the Air Force released a report estimating that Trump's proposed blank would cost $13 billion over five years. Oh, his Space Force Space thing. Force! Yeah. On Sunday, two more people <laughs> were reported ill in the English town of Salisbury, where a former Russian blank was poisoned. Uh, a former Russian spy. Right. A Florida man accused of doing lawn work and car repairs in the nude has refused to speak to reporters, saying that he's blank. Uh, he is... <laughs> Uh, he talks to nature, not people. No, he won't talk to them because he says, quote, he's, quote, a very private person. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> this week it was announced that Carrie Fukunaga would direct the next installment of the long-running Blank franchise. James Bond. Right. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Game of Thrones were the big winners at this year's Blank Awards. Emmys. Right. This week an all-you-can-eat sushi restaurant in Germany banned a triathlete after he blanked. Oh, ate all he could eat. Exactly. He ate too much sushi. First of all, I know what you're thinking. All you can eat German sushi? Get me on a plane. <laughs> but before you go to Bavaria to eat your weight in sauerkraut sashimi, know that the restaurant recently banned an Ironman triathlete after he paid his $15 flat fee and then ate 100 plates of sushi. <laughs> the man said he ate all the food as part of his training regimen for the three disciplines of the triathlon, salmonella, listeria, and mercury poisoning. <laughs> Bill, did Faith do well enough to win? She got six right, 12 more points. A total of 15 gives her the win. Congratulations. In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists to predict after Toad from Mario Kart was in the news, 
who'll be the next video game character we'll be hearing about. Special thanks this week to Kurt's Cafe in Evanston, Illinois, for feeding us. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord, Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary D'Olio. Our interns are Catherine Coates and Zoe Lowenberg. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer for Mills, Miles Dornbos, and Lillian King. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog, and the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Now, panel, who will be the next video game character to make the headlines? Adam Burke. Uh, it will be when Namco reveals that Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man are the same person. And they were just way ahead of this whole gender fluidity thing. Faith Saley. Hoping to capitalize off the recent Sesame Street news, Nintendo has announced that Mario and Donkey Kong have been in a same-sex relationship for 37 years. And Tyra Clancy. Sonic the Hedgehog, when it is revealed in the next tell-all book that Kelly Ann Conway fashions her little hedgehog <laughs> after it, you know? <laughs> Spiky and gelled. Well, if any of that happens, panel, we'll ask you about it. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks, Austin and Faith Saley, Adam Burke, and Tara Clancy. Thanks, all of you, for listening. I am Peter Sagal. We'll see you in Los Angeles. Griffith Park, next week. This is NPR.